Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy, And I'm David. And we went to Beverly Hills High School together in the 1980s. Each episode, we'll bring on a new guest to talk about their experiences growing up in Beverly Hills and their life and journey since. You may think it's all glitz and glamour in Beverly Hills, but many people have ups and downs. I think you'll find that the truth is stranger than the fiction. You're so right, David. That's all I wanted to hear. I knew it. Today we have a super special guest, and that is my mom. Vicki Pass. Or Vicki Starr. Vicki Starr was her maiden name, and she grew up in Beverly Hills. So what you're saying, David, is she's an original growing up Beverly Hills? You can't get much more original because Beverly Hills wasn't invented much before that. (laughs) That's true. She was telling us so many fun stories and we learned a lot about her life and growing up in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Just to give you a quick rundown of my family, because we cover a lot of it. My grandfather's name is Irving Starr and he was a movie producer and he was married to my grandmother, Pearl Starr. And they had two children, my mother and my mother's sister, my aunt, Linda. It was very interesting. We learned a lot from Vicki on the show today. She, like you said, originally grew up in Beverly Hills, so we might call her born and bred Beverly Hills. And then she had a very amazing career and life. Yeah, I think her own belief in herself and a a few great mentors really paved the way for her to have an amazing career. I don't think she ever thinks of herself as a feminist per se, but kind of leads by example. For sure. Stick around after we say goodbye to my mom for the Beverly Hills Breakdown, where we discuss all the people and places mentioned in the show. Welcome, uh, Vicki Pass, Vicki Starr, or should I just say mom, to our podcast. Well, it's been Vicky Pass for a long time. Was that your maiden name, Vicky Star? Yeah, it was great. I never had to make up a phony one. Well, it happens to be my most favorite name. I actually wanted to name my daughter Star, but I wasn't allowed to. So I went name my dog Ruby Star. Wow. You guys have that in common. That is her dog's last name. <laughs> Maybe related. Okay. <laughs> so when and why did your family first move to Beverly Hills? My mother, she was born in Los Angeles, and her family moved there from New Jersey. They were moved to Boyle Heights. My great-grandfather was a president of the Boyle Heights Temple, and they owned a, I don't know what kind of store it was, but I know they sold tires in it, downtown L.A., and it was a family business. And then my father's family was from the, well, originally my grandparents were from Russia, and then they lived in New York. And then my father was the first one to migrate out to Los Angeles because of show business. And he and a friend of his drove cross country, and they both became agents originally. And then they ended up both becoming producers in Hollywood. So he started off as a literary agent in New York, and then decided to move out? I I don't know. I guess there were promises of jobs and show business. And then uh, then the whole his whole family eventually moved out. So and then the move to Beverly Hills was before I was born, so sometime in the nineteen thirties. They originally lived in LA. My mother went to LA High. Oh. And could always sing the fight song. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in the same house on Camden Drive, you know, my whole life. 
So you were a real original Beverly Hills growing up. Yeah, originally original. Right. I love it. And then I went to kindergarten at El Rodale and all the way to eighth grade. And then David went to El Rodale too. Yeah. Yeah, we went to all the same schools. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was really fun. Brian always liked that my picture and my sister's was up on the wall when you got to go up in the tower at El Rodale. That's awesome. You got to go up there when you graduated. Yeah, that was a big treat. I never went up on the tower at El Rodale because I went to Beverly Vista. Ah, okay. But I think there was a bell there, but I didn't ring that bell either. <laughs> so your your mother has an interesting history. She did a lot of things in Los Angeles before she moved to Beverly Hills. She was a dancer. Right. And she danced mainly in the movies or did she? No, she was in a traveling, probably it was like vaudeville show and a big troupe of dancers with costumes, kind of like uh, the Rockettes. She always said that Judy Garland was in her troupe, but I don't know if that's valid or not. That's fun. Her name was Pearl Spitz, and then she became Pearl Star when she married your father. Well, she got married before my father. She had another husband. So Pearl was married before. Yes, she was married to Gore was his last name. His sister was married to the man who owned the Tropics, which was a big restaurant in Beverly Hills. His name was Harry Sugarman. I always tried to talk to grandma about that first marriage, and I think it lasted a week, and she would never tell me the reasons for divorce. But She'd just say he was sort of crazy, and then I went out with somebody in my later years who was a relative and told me all about, which I'm not going to say on this broadcast, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> That's an after-broadcast story. Right. Your father became a movie producer. Mm -hmm. And what were some of the projects that you remember him working on? The one that I guess I remember most, because it was the first time I was on a set, was he was doing a Carmen Miranda movie. And Stacy, I don't know if you know what Carmen Miranda was, but she wore these huge hats. They were like full of fruit and stuff. My sister and I got to wear the headdresses for Halloween. So that was exciting. How fun. His biggest movie was called Batan, and he was up for an Academy Award for that. And didn't you tell me, David, you studied it at SC? I did study that in film school, and it, it was one of the first really realistic war movies ever made. What did you learn about your grandpa then, David? Well, there were still some old professors at USC Film School while I was there who were friendly with him and knew him, like Eddie Dimitrik, who uh, was an incredible movie director. So I got some favor for from the older professors. <laughs> and those are the guys I like to take classes from the most anyway. When I was in, I guess, probably what you would call middle school, you know, he was doing something called Ford Theater that was very hot, popular. And they were like... Um, I think they were half-hour series, and they were sort of taken from stories from the Saturday Evening Post and things like that. And that was kind of fun because I think they were on Thursday night. When I'd come into school Friday, everybody was talking about them. So that was fun. That's a lot of fun. He did one of those uh, starring Ronald Reagan was one of the stars. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Because TV was kind of new then. So when you grew up, Vicki, did you know a lot of famous people that your parents were friends with? Yeah, and I was friends with. My best friend was uh, Marsha Levant, whose father was Oscar Levant, Nora Ephron, who was famous herself, but her parents were also famous. They were screenwriters and had come out from New York where they had been playwrights. One of my friends 
all through sort of the junior high days in high school and later in life was Nordy Stein, whose father was Julie Stein. We had a lot of uh, songwriters. Oh, wow. Uh, Guy Webster, whose father was a famous uh, songwriter. There were a lot of them. A lot of people were in behind the scenes, makeup, art directors, you know. I went to uh, dancing school with Nancy Sinatra. Oh, these boots are made for walking. Yeah. And then for a short while, I, Julie Payne, John Payne's daughter, went to our school. Oh, wow. I remember they had a fabulous birthday party where we picked up in limousines oh. and taken to Trader Vic's for dinner. So it was very glamorous. That must have been a very big deal back in the day to go to Trader Vic's in a limo. Yeah, it was. friend of my parents, but also we knew the kids, my sister and I, was uh, Pandro Berman, and he was a producer. And every Friday night, they showed movies at his house. On a projector. Yeah, yeah, a projector. And anyway, so that was kind of fun because, you know, it was sort of a hangout. So would you go to their backyard and he would show a movie and y'all sit outside on the, on the lawn? No, we were in the house. <laughs> oh, it was an indoor. Indoor. And then another friend of mine was um, Lou Wasserman's daughter. And that was kind of hang out their house because they were always traveling and away. And they had one daughter, Lynn, and she was very hospitable. And we all would hang out and have a lot of fun. And we did hang out in her backyard and go <laughs> swimming and just like have good times. It's great. And your parents would entertain as well. I know. Uh, Grandpa used to talk about he had a card game with famous directors like Billy Wilder, who made Sunset Boulevard and Some Like It Hot. Do you remember those card games? Or I think you had parties on Wednesday nights. My mother was a very good hostess, and she would have very large parties. I remember one party where I was sick, and we were we had a two-story house. So she said we could lean over the staircase, and Van Johnson was at the party. So he felt sorry for me because I couldn't come down. So he came up, and just as he reached the top stair, I threw up all over him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was memorable for both of us. <laughs> Everyone remembers that story. But my mother was had big parties, and there was always like we had a piano, and people were always singing. And my father was a very good storyteller. They were good, both good dancers. And who would play the piano? All the famous musicians that were there. Uh, Sammy Kahn was a friend of theirs. He would sit down. I mean, they had a lot of musician friends. Hey, Vicki, what year did you graduate Beverly Hills High School? Uh, 58. Even when Stacy and I grew up, Beverly Hills seemed like a small town, but it must have really been like a small town when you it were growing was, up. It was. Uh, Rodale Drive still had the bridle path going down it. And it really, horses were going down it. So you re really, horses were going, like people yeah. would, yeah. wow. So there was no Starbucks. No. And everybody knew everybody. Yeah. So it was a real small town feel in Beverly Hills. And it was interesting because in those days, Beverly Hills was sort of understated as far as the kids went. They all had nannies, but they were still dressed, you know. No one wore makeup in, like, high, high school. I don't think we wore makeup. We were kept very sequestered. <laughs> and then people from L.A. High and everybody else seemed like they were much more ahead of us. So they were more sophisticated. Yeah, 
Was there still an aura of being from Beverly Hills where if you would go somewhere else and people, you know, you said you were from Beverly Hills, would people be impressed or want to know? We had a beach house and we'd go to Balboa every summer. And we never, ever said we were from Beverly Hills. Because if you said you were from Beverly Hills, everybody would say, well, oh, who do you know? You know, what movie stars do you know? So until actually I think I came down here, I never told anybody I went. I just said I grew up in Los Angeles. That is so funny. I think we were all taught not to say we were from Beverly Hills and just to say we were from West Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, heck, I was from West Los Angeles. I was happy to be from Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vicki, I have a question. So the movie It's a Wonderful Life was filmed at the Swim Gym in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And did you have any fun dance parties growing up in, in the Swim Gym or yeah. anything like when they felt? Because the Swim Gym, real quick, is, is there's an Olympic-sized swimming pool and the floors close on top of it. And therefore, you have a whole gymnasium. Yeah. Yeah, the basketball court slides out. And underneath is the pool, as featured in It's a Wonderful Life, where they fall in during a dance. Right. So, no, we had lots of dances. We had sock hop was the first dance of the season. That was like a freshman. We had we had tons of dances. You know, it was a time of the sort of the poodle skirt, the full skirts and everything, and Lindy Hop. And it, we just had a lot of fun. Went to the football game, and then afterwards we went to drive-in, Dolores' drive-in that had Susie Q potatoes. That was fun. I talked to my dad a lot about Dolores' and the Susie Q potatoes and the roller skating waitresses that came up to your car window. And, and then we also went to uh, drive-in movies. Pan Pacific, or is there one in Beverly Hills? There was one sort of in Culver City that we used to go to. What was your high school experience like? Oh, I loved it. First of all, it was interesting because there were the four schools, four grade schools, when we were like equivalent of junior high year. The Y in Beverly Hills that's still there had a dance every Friday night. It was for the four schools. So we got to know people from the other schools before we entered high school. So by the time we got to high school, we already kind of had friends from all the schools, so that was good. But th those dances were really fun, too. Did you have some boys picked out by the time you got to high school oh, from yeah. all these dances? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what were you into at the high school? Did they have clubs? Were they clubs? The year ahead of us had a club. Actually, I think they had two clubs, but really clubs were not encouraged at Beverly High, like LA High and Fairfax and I think I don't remember if Uni and Hamilton, the other surrounding high schools, I don't know if they had clubs. I know LA and Fairfax had clubs. Um, it sort of was not encouraged. They didn't want people to do that. My girlfriends, we all dated the sophomore. When we were freshmen, we all started dating the guys that were in the Dukes. And what's fun is down here in Palm Springs, there's a lot of them down here. So I'm still running into them. A lot of Dukes down in the desert. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people from Beverly High. True. And were you a good student? My freshman year was good because I went, my boyfriend was very smart and he was in my French class and we had uh, Mademoiselle Hurlbut and she was a romantic and she wore purple all the time and she wrote with purple chalk. And so he would sort of encourage me. I didn't want to look bad in front of him. So I did very well. And once I even did better than he did in a French test and she was like all excited about that. <laughs> I was I was not a great student. I was, you know, like a B student. And then when I got to um, math, I think I took geometry over again during the summer. So that was not my thing. 
Did you have something in mind while you were in school about what you would do after? I'm not sure when it came upon me. I wasn't academic minded. And I think when I was a senior, we had a senior tea that had a fashion show. So I already was going in the fashion direction. And I was head of the fashion tea and commentated the fashion show and all of that. So that was like fun. I think I already had decided I was going to New York to go to school, fashion school. And my parents had lived in London for one year, not, well, for more than one year. But one year, my mother took me with her and we went through New York. And I just thought, oh, I've got to live in this place. It just, I was only there for like overnight and I fell in love with New York. So I got my dream come true and I still love it. So they did spend some time in London and they did leave you at home for a year while they were in London, right? They left me home for more than a year. When I graduated, they were gone. Like my grandmother came to the senior tea I was talking about, but they did come home for my graduation. So you lived home alone for a whole year or more? Our housekeeper was there, and then my grandmother was checking on me. And I don't remember what the circumstances were, but my sister was newly married and pregnant. And somehow I ended up living with them, which later on, of course, she hated me for. (laughs) And was he already a Beverly Hills hairdresser at the time? Neil? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you were living them, he had a salon? Yeah. So you had nice hair? So my sister had met him through another hairdresser, a famous one, uh, Jean Chakov, who I think the movie... uh, Shampoo. Shampoo. And they used my brother-in-law's salon as sort of the set design. So they came in and photographed that to make the set. And he, yeah, he was a, he was a famous hairdresser. He did Barbara Streisand, and then they invited her to the Coconut Grove opening, and she even introduced him like a celebrity. So he was quite well known. That's great. And then after you graduated high school, did you move directly to New York City? Uh-huh. And what did you do then? Well, I went to school for two years and then uh, got a job. The two, while you were in this school, you had to live at a women's residence. And then my friend Marcia, who I told you about, Levant, she was going to UCLA and she hated it. So she'd get dressed every day and pretend like she was going to school, but she wasn't. So finally she confessed and she came to New York. And I was living at a YWCA and she moved in with where I was. And, um, they thought that was safe. The, the why? Well, you had to sign in and out. And then mm-hmm. a lot of women were for the UN and worked on Broadway and stuff. And everybody had the system checked out because if the door locked at midnight. So if you got in after midnight, you had to sign your name. So they knew you were in and you had to be let in. So one girl I met there was an, uh, an actress and she kept another apartment, but her mail came to the Y because she was from the Midwest, and she just never came home, so they never knew if she was there or not. But I always loved that story. <laughs> <laughs> not long after that, you got married for the first time. Yeah. So your husband you met in New York? No, I met him. I had come home for a summer break after school, and he was visiting a friend of mine who I had met before I had gone to New York. And I had introduced that friend to my best friend. We are both short. So, and he was sure. Anyway, she she was staying with me for the summer because my parents weren't there. She ran into him and he had two friends visiting. So I was fixed up with one of them, which was David's father. Then he was doing, he was from Minnesota and he was doing a fellowship or something in Boston. And so he'd come in on weekends to visit me in New York. 
That was for medical school. Yeah, he was at the Peter Bent Brigham Hospital. He would give me romantic gifts like book of poetry or something that I had no understanding of whatsoever. <laughs> he was the <laughs> intellect. We got engaged and got married. So were you living in different cities when you got engaged? Yeah, I was living in New York and he was back in Minneapolis. And uh, then I went to Minneapolis and met his mother and met all his friends in Minneapolis. And then we got married the following June. And then you eventually settled in New Rochelle, New York. Well, we had a few stops in between. I lived in Scarsdale. I lived in Scarsdale. Oh, okay. You were a neighbor. <laughs> so we from L.A., his internship, we moved to Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think it was a three-year residency. But he had already signed up to do service time. So when that was at the three years in Portland was up, and I had Brian at that time, he was promised that he would not go overseas. It was during the Vietnam War. And so we were sent to a base in Maryland. He enlisted. Well, it was part of a program where if you enlisted while you were in medical school, you'd be assured that you went in as a captain and you would have seniority when you went in. So it wasn't a bad thing, but you had to do, you had to give two years. By then, I was pregnant with David, and we were supposed to stay there in Maryland. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, Frank got orders to go to, well, we didn't know where. He was going to go overseas, and we knew that I could go quickly, and his mother was visiting us. So his mother was hysterical. I was rather hysterical. I had to pack up for me to go home while I waited when I could come. And he didn't know where he was going. And then shortly after he, oh, they went to Texas or something for basic training. And then I got a call in the middle of the night or something. He was in Greenland. And they all, when they got on the plane, they told him they were going to Japan. So that's when I knew where we were going. So I, meanwhile, went home and stayed with my mother and father. Then I was allowed to go. And I think I went, I flew on uh, a New Year's Eve. And I thought the plane would be empty. But they had a troop movement that night. So I had Brian, and I was nine months pregnant. And Brian was sitting on my lap. Some really sweet serviceman sitting next to me was feeling sorry for me. So whoever was in charge of him, like a captain or something, had to be up all night watching over the soldiers. So he took his seat and let me have his so I could put Brian down. So that was uh, quite a flight. Then we got to Japan, and shortly after, David was born. David was born in Japan? David spent the first two years of his life on the back of our housekeeper, Fujiko. We had quite a good life there. They had dorms. It was an Air Force base, but we were Army. Frank was part of a medical unit to treat evacuees from Vietnam. So we had a whole little medical group of our own that we hung out with. We lived in a house. It was a nice-sized house. And they had dormitories on the base for the maids. They babysat and did housework and everything. Is it true you brought a station wagon from the United States? Yes, that you couldn't get through the streets. It was so wide. How did that even work? Did the Army allow you to do it? Yeah, the Army paid for everything, yeah. And we had no money. So living like we did in Japan was a real luxury because we would have been starving otherwise. So overall, was that a really good experience in your life? Oh, fabulous. So Vicky, you lived in Japan for about two years, and then what happened after you? Then he got a job as a um, professor of dermatology at Albert Einstein Hospital, which is in the Bronx. So when we came back, I went again home to L.A. with my 
parents. And he went on ahead to New York and he found an apartment for us in New Rochelle. Anyway, when we got divorced, then I moved back to LA. How old are your kids? Well, I thought they were four and six, but David tells me they were five and seven. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with you, Vicky, because that happened to me as well. I thought my parents got divorced when I was four, but then my dad corrected me. I was actually three. So I'll go with the parent. Whatever <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> they were little. And then you moved back to Beverly Hills. Yeah. So I got a really nice. Uh, it was a fourplex, and it, it was a very nice apartment. I thought we had. Uh, three bedrooms, and they could walk to Beverly High and to Elmerdale. So what was your main decision-making and motivation for going back to Beverly Hills? My mommy, <laughs> built-in babysitter, and my So you were a single mom in New Rochelle, and you decided, I need to go back to Beverly Hills or back to L.A. to my family. Right, and one of my friends told me I was G.U., I, in New Rochelle, I was geographically undesirable. It is a little far. <laughs> and I had my family and built-in babysitters, plus I hired someone to stay with the kids, and I went back to work. You know what actually the good news is, is back in the day you were able to do that, because nowadays people get divorced and you can't leave the states and you can't you know, go back to California. And yeah, one can- None of that was going on then. Right. I think of Frank really realized that it would be a good thing for my kids. Also, if I was happy, it was a better situation. Well, he sounds nice because that some people aren't as uh, easygoing as that to let the women make a better decision of what the right thing to do is. We had a good divorce because we always really wanted to put the kids first. And I put them on a plane by themselves to go to Minneapolis. And my mother would go with me and she would when they'd come back, I would want to drill them. And she'd go, Vicki. <laughs> to clarify that, my dad also moved back to where he was from in Minneapolis. Yeah. So David and Brian would go for the summers back and forth. And winter. <laughs> Did you go Christmas? Oh, yeah. He remember, it sounds like he remembers the snow. It's hard to forget going from 80 degrees to minus 40 degrees every winter and uh, I would always get the flu on by New Year's Eve and be throwing up on New Year's Eve. Oh, that was good. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that was, I was lucky. I traveled a lot for work, and my mother would come move in the house, and she was a much better nurse than I was, and so they'd get sick by the time, and she would pamper them and take care of them, and by the time I would get home, they'd be fine. So that was good. So, Vicki, I heard you had a really cool career once uh, after you were divorced and then you had young children. And tell us a little bit about your career. Well, when I first got there, I had a girlfriend, uh, the same one I had fixed up with Frank's friend who they ended up getting married. She was in, had jobs in the fashion industry. And at the time, when I got back, she was working as a stylist for commercials. You really had to be union. But she was working non-union. She gave me a couple of jobs, which were really interesting because, like, I didn't know this life existed. In the middle of the night, you can get something made. There are dry cleaners that are open all night. And I hated the job, but it paid well. And it was something, you know, to get me sort of started. So I didn't stay with that for very long, but it paid well, as I said. And it was sort of an interesting experience, but it was you could be brain dead and do it. (laughs) 
the next big job was at the Broadway department store, which no longer exists. But I got in the fashion office there. So I did all the fashion shows and they had 38 stores. In our office, what we did was, um, at the time, we were putting together like trend shows and we would do them on slides and write a script and send it to, there were stores in Arizona and New Mexico and all over California. So we would sort of send that out. We would have live fashion shows in LA. And when we opened a new store, we would have live fashion shows. Then I got promoted to working with the buyers. So I'd go to New York Mm -hmm. and go in the market with them. And we would decide like what the windows were going to look like, what the ads were. And we'd try and coordinate the whole store with a theme. And then I would go in and help the buyers select things that would go with that. We didn't want to go out with the buyers because we'd been with them all day for, we want to be on our own. And we always went to all the plays, ballets, whatever. And every night was some, I don't know how we had stomachs left. One night was Indian food, Mexican food, whatever was the cheapest. And But we always went to museums and theater. We all thought alike and we still are friendly to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And some of my friends that live in New York now, and the minute I hit town, we do all the same stuff. That's great. It had really come full circle. You had moved back to Beverly Hills and you used your experience from high school of putting on fashion shows. And you, here you were putting on fashion shows again. Right. Did you enjoy the fashion industry? I liked the people. I really loved that job. And then I, I had followed a woman into the job who had taken a job at Glamour Magazine as the West Coast editor. And she wasn't there very long, and she decided to leave. So she called at the Broadway and said, anybody want my job? And I hadn't been there very long, so I really wasn't thinking of it for me. And I was flying to New York with another woman, and I said to her, oh, this job would be great for you. So now, she said, why don't you go for it? So I did, and I got it. <laughs> That's awesome. So that started a whole other life, which was easier having children. Tell us about that. Well, when I was at the Broadway, I loved, loved, loved my boss. She was like Auntie me. She was quite flamboyant. But she had us working like all hours of the night. One memorable night, she had us over, me and one other woman over for dinner, followed by us taking kind of notes while she was in the bathtub. So that's who she was, okay? <laughs> Larger than life. She was interesting. So, But it was very hard on my home life. We ate a lot of Jacopo's pizza during that time. Ah, Jacopo's. Where was your offices? Downtown LA? It was really downtown LA. Yeah. It was uh, near LA Hospital. Yeah. I I was in the fashion business in LA too before I moved to New York as well. But mine was down on, well, on Main Street in the Mart, but also on Santa Fe, down where the manufacturers were. were. We were running around down there all the time. So Yeah. yeah. And then they opened a Broadway in the uh, the plaza. I think it was called Horton Plaza. We used to have a, a room there that was, so we did our fashion shows out of that office. I, we'd pull from the store and have models come in. How fun. Then I went to Glamour. And what'd you do in the magazine business? Well, as a West Coast editor, you sort of do everything, which was fun. Report on the market, like if you saw it, they'd tell me what they were doing for each issue, and I'd see if there was anything in California that fit it, and then send samples. I also did some fashion shows with our special events department. I had responsibilities for 13 Western states, so I would do the shows in those places and make have relationships with the department store people. So that was kind of fun, and I'd go back, and we had sort of groupies, and I got to know them each city. 
and went to Hawaii, which was really fun. Wow. Anyway, that was a good job. And then while I was there, a new magazine that Condé Nast started called Self Magazine. I love Self. It was health and fitness, and it sort of came out of Glamour, because Glamour had a health and fitness section that was getting more and more popular. So they sent a, a woman out from New York to start it. And she was very successful, so successful that she decided she was going to buy a boat and leave. <laughs> so she did. I interviewed for that job. About what year was that? Well, the magazine started, I think, in 79. I, I, it was probably 80, 81. Mm-hmm. I got interviewed at Jimmy's Restaurant in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. I loved my bosses then. It was just terrific. So I loved that job. And I had this. I kept the secretary that was there. I went into advertising at that point, so I knew it from going with the ad director of Glamour. But I really didn't know the technology. So the first day on the job, someone calls me, and I go, "Oh, could you excuse me one moment?" And I put him on hold, and I ask my secretary the most basic question in advertising. Exactly. <laughs> so she was my backup. She coached me through. <laughs> So anyway, that was really fun. And my main job was to entertain people. So I had, I knew every restaurant. Part of it was throwing parties and, and entertaining people. What a fun career. Yeah. And it made, I made much more money on the advertising side than on the other side. They always do. I'm glad you switched over, Vicki. Yeah. And my mother was ashamed. <laughs> she wanted you to stay in fashion. Oh, yeah. She loved saying that her daughter was a fashion editor, you know, or something. She did not like the idea that I went to advertising. She didn't get it. And then you switched over from self working in advertising back to Glamour. Yeah. So I left uh, self at one point. I got remarried. And I had, I think the reason I left was I had a boss that I was not so pleased with. And I thought, I don't have to really do this. So I left. And then I got a call a couple of years after that from the man at Glamour who had been there forever. And he said, um, I'm ready to retire, but I have a couple of years left on my contract. And he said, I think with if I tell him you're going to join me, I can swing this deal. And you can take, he wasn't on commission like we were. We were on like a base salary and he was on straight commission. And Glamour was the number one moneymaker at Condé Nast at that time. And we had offices in San Francisco. A couple of months after he approached me, he gives me a call and he says, when can you start? So I went back to work. The contract that he had was up in a couple of years. So I worked that out and I made like really good money. And then that was it. I left. So you, so you got this guy to retire and then you scored a really big job. Well, he yourself. really didn't. He didn't leave. He came in the office every day, but he. So then you just scored a really big job for yourself. Yeah. Okay. I like it. He was kind of an eccentric guy. You want to talk a little bit about him? He was, he never wore a tie. It was the day when everybody in advertising wore a tie. He refused to do that. He was just beloved. He was. And his name was? Van B. Hall. What a cool name. He, He was just special. So when you were working in Los Angeles in Glamour and Self, did you also have to travel back and forth to New York? You traveled all over to Europe, any of that stuff? No, I didn't go to Europe, but I went uh, to New York often, uh, which was great because the kids by then were in college. So I could write off all my trips. Oh, so your big career really happened when your kids got a little older. Well, I was at Condé Nast for probably about 20 years. Mm. So it spanned... A long time. It just kept building. Kept building. Well, that's awesome. How fun. 
What was the experience like having your children go to the same elementary school and the same high school? Were you, did you feel like they were reliving your experiences or that it had changed already so much? No, I thought it was pretty much still the same. I felt sorry for my mother because I thought if she has to go through another Christmas program, <laughs> it was the same. That was the same. Well, she liked doing that stuff. Yeah, I know. She did. Was David or Brian friends with any of your like friends that you were friends with? And then it just so happened that they became friends with the kids. What was interesting is no was the answer. Okay. My best friend's um, son and my older son, I think the first time we were visiting them, he the older one tried to drown my son. <laughs> so that didn't go off too well. Play day didn't go well. No, it didn't go well. But after the kids were in college... I think you got friendly with Ben and Aaron, didn't you, David? Yeah, I got a lot friendlier with them. Um, you know, we weren't going to the same school. They went to a different yeah, school. Yeah, they lived so, in the valley. You know, I got to know them better as I got older, and then we became friends. I was friends with people's children that you went to school with who had also gone to Beverly. Like you mentioned, uh, the Steins, and David Stein is... Oh. their son that we were talking about. And then um, also I knew the girl who lived in your old house. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, it was very cool. That was Marilyn Schwimmer, by the way. Hi, Marilyn. Oh, that's so cool. So our house was party central. I could. We used to go in the old days when I was, I guess we were like 11 or 12. We'd go, a whole gang of us would go to the movies. We'd start off at the Warner Brothers studio, which was on Wilshire, and they would have cartoons. And then we would go across the street to the drugstore that had a a soda fountain, and we would have lunch. And then we would either go to the Cannon Theater or Beverly Theater. Mm -hmm. And then I would always say, like, oh, come back, we'll have a party tonight. And my mother never cared. That's great. That is fun, because I think when I grew up, my house was the party house. It was. I remember it was. I heard I heard about it. It was. So that is a lot yeah. of fun. It always bothered my mother a lot that a lot of these rich kids with gigantic houses would hang out in our sm- smaller apartment. Yeah, I'd come home and there'd be everybody being the guilty working mother. We had all the games early on, right? Those are the console games like Atari. Yep. Did you stay in Beverly Hills? Were you living in Beverly Hills until you left and moved to the desert? or did you? No. Then I remarried. David, what were you in first year or second year of college? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We moved to Beverlywood. That's Beverly Hill adjacent for those yes. who aren't familiar with where Beverlywood is. Which means it's about a street or two away from Beverly Hills. Exactly. But the street sign colors change, so you clearly know that you're not in Beverly Hills. <laughs> this house was literally two blocks away from Beverly Hills. But you're not in Beverly Hills. That's right. I lived there until I got a divorce. Seems like a repetitive... That That's just number two for those who are keeping count. <laughs> Are there many more divorces after that? Yeah, that was no. it. Okay, so you're doing you're doing just fine. Uh, my father has had four. So there's this phenomenon that people from Beverly Hills High School at some point in their retirement move to the desert, Palm Desert or Palm Springs. There's a lot of people down here. Kind of like the Florida of L.A. Probably. So you're coming down here? I'm here. I moved to Rancho Mirage. Oh, Lovely. Oh, yeah. So right here. I'm here. Oh, great. When you came down to the desert, a lot of your family and friends were, your sister was already there and your friends were there. Mm -hmm. 
What prompted me to come the year I came, I was planning to come kind of a year later. One of my best friends from high school called and asked me for my sister's phone number because she was looking to look in the desert. And I had no idea that she was even thinking of it. So then she came back and she said, oh, we found something. We're going to make an offer. And then I thought I was starting a new life in L.A., taking up bridge and mahjong and you know, trying to create a non-working life. And playing tennis. And, well, always played tennis. Badly, but always played. All of a sudden, I thought I was going to wait till uh, my youngest at that time, granddaughter, was going to get out of high school. And I thought, you know, she never sees me anyway. What's the difference? I'll move a year earlier. And I moved a month after my friends did. And then a couple of years later, another really close friend of mine is down here. So it makes it really nice. And now my cousin also moved down here. That's nice. Stacy's the pioneer. She's really the, f- the first one to go down of her group of girlfriends. I am way early pioneering down in the desert, but I had nothing better to do. <laughs> well, it's a good way for the, with the quarantine. It's a lot easier to get around, isn't it? It's been amazing. So far, so good. And, you know, I literally only been here four days, but so far, so good. I got today, I finished with all the work in my house is done. And I went, my cousin called me and who I don't really know. And I just had lunch on the Paseo. So now I'm having my podcast with you. It's a good day. Well, we'll get together. Yes. With mask on. Yes. I can ask both of you this question. What is the appeal of the desert for people from Beverly Hills? To get somewhere in less than an hour. That's. Do you remember, David, you and I were both leaving at the same time, somewhere that should have taken us 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. We were going into Westwood, I think, and we both got stuck in traffic. Doesn't happen down here. I like it. It seems fancy and nice and clean and everyone seems nice and no traffic and good weather and... A little too, little too hot for me. Little hot, little hot. Yeah. So you guys think that's one of the biggest ways Beverly Hills has changed? It's just so crowded. It's too overcrowded. LA is too much. Like I wanted yeah. to move into LA at before I moved to the desert, but I found no reason for me to move into Los Angeles. And my friends are, you know, some friends are there, some friends aren't. It's too crowded. Well, it's not that big a deal to get in. I mean, that's right. the other thing. It's two hours, two and a half, depending on where you're going. Very easy. Yeah. And then you're back with all your friends from high school. Well, actually, two couples that come down twice a year are coming down next weekend. Mm-hmm. Do you ever throw a sock hop? No. You should. Everybody's been waiting for that. We need it. We need to revive the sock hop. Did you guys have dances? I don't remember. Uh, we didn't have, you know, it was not the same kind of environment where like boys and girls slow danced or anything like that. We had yeah. bands play at the swim gym, such as Oingo Boingo. <laughs> that was a big deal for us, but we didn't really have dances. Is there one story that stands out as like the most outrageous Beverly Hills experience of your life? Outrageous? Like over the top. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess coolest thing was that my parents took us to the Academy Awards one year. Ah. That's so Beverly Hills. Yeah, when it was at the uh, Pantages. Do you remember what year that was? It was sometime in the 50s, because I remember that I was all excited because my friend's parents were sitting in front of us. Was I don't know what year it was, but it was in the 50s. I mean, it felt like a big deal, you're saying, but it, you must have known a lot of people there. Well, my parents did. Mm-hmm. 
So Vicky, growing up, did you go to any concerts? Like, did you see Elvis and the Beatles and things like that? Oh my God. Did she see Elvis? Did I see Elvis. My father used to go to Vegas a lot and he knew somebody who knew somebody. So we were always comped. And I, I, it was our first time, first time I had ever been there. I was a teenager and we used to wear, do you know what a Merry Widow is? No. Well, something of the 50s. And I was going to say, it's either, I'm not going to say, what was it? Well, it was a corset of types. And you hooked it up in the back and you couldn't breathe. God, I'm so glad we got rid of that. Yeah. So your waist looked really thin and it. we were all dressed up to go through the casinos and everything. And then my father said, oh, I have t- tickets to see someone called Elvis Presley. We had never heard of him. And this was before he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. We go to this hotel and of course we have really upfront seats because someone had provided them for us. So he comes out, everybody starts squealing and screaming, and we didn't know what was happening, really. So we were laughing just at the whole scene. But I remember just hurting so much because you couldn't really laugh when you had this binding Mary Widow on. (laughs) So that was very uncomfortable, I'm sure. Very uncomfortable. We just thought it was so funny. You were not impressed. I I wasn't really into Elvis, no. I was sort of, and still am, more into jazz. So like when I was in high school, there was the cool group, the older guys who would go to Hermosa Beach. There was a really great jazz place called there, called the Lighthouse, where all the big jazz musicians would go. So to me, that was a bigger deal if I got to go there on a date. So you would rather go to the Lighthouse than an Elvis Presley concert? Yeah, I was totally not into Elvis. Yeah. Perfect. I remember that we did go to a concert in Portland in the rain to hear Ella Fitzgerald. My daughter now is six years old. She's studying Ella Fitzgerald in class. See, very memorable people. So let me ask you, so real quick, growing up, did like everyone have a housekeeper in Beverly Hills and yeah. fancy cars and every, and was money a real thing about Beverly Hills in the day? No, it really wasn't. And it was really funny because it was very, uh, like for kids, it wasn't labels, you know, I mean, no one knew we had nannies and stuff. I have a birthday party picture of like a puppet show in our backyard and behind every kid is the nanny mm-hmm. in a uniform. Yeah, I don't think people, I mean, people had big homes and they had help, you know, help. Did Beverly Hills start off, like when we first did our first podcast, we talked about the south side and the north side of Beverly Hills. Was there like an allure or an awe if you lived above S- Santa Monica or Sunset versus if you lived below Wilshire or any of that stuff? Yeah. Always There that. was always that. So there's always a class discrepancy in Beverly Hills. It wasn't, it wasn't, because there were a lot of, you know, dependent on like the business. I mean, most people were in show business. Right. I don't know. It didn't seem to be that big a deal. Since I've been down here, I once went on a date with somebody who I knew their brother. He said, oh, yeah, you lived on this something south of whatever. And I thought, oh, my God. He's never going to let you live that down. How come David never went to Kitty Land or Pony Land? Well, he did. He doesn't remember. I, I'm sure I went there, but we didn't go there a lot. I don't think it was there that long after we moved there. It had to have been. No, he went. He went. He had to. I, I, cause Only because we're the same age, and I recall growing up and so many of my memories there, no, and no, David no. had none. Well, but remember, he didn't come there until he was a little bit older. 
That's right, David. You were in Japan when I was on the horses at Ponyland. Before I was two by 1968. I didn't move to Beverly Hills until 1970 or 71. Right. It was there. It was, it was there. It was there, there until it was there until it closed for Beverly Center. But my mom said no. Ponies, they're too dangerous. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So overall, would you say it was a lot of fun growing up Beverly Hills? Well, it was, but I thought the interesting thing when I think about how I felt about it, which is so different than how it is now. Having my parents grow up, well, my mother growing up there, it felt like a very small town. Mm -hmm. And I loved when I went to New York because I wasn't anybody's daughter. I wasn't anybody's sister. And I can remember the first time I ran into someone on a bus that I knew. And it was like, wow, you know, we're in Beverly Hills. Even now, I when I go in, I always run into someone right. I know. So it was kind of nice you're saying going to New York and starting your life on your own. Yeah, it was just totally, um, you know. I, I understand. I moved to New York when I was 25 also, and I loved it more than anything. I, I stepped my foot down on the on the pavement. I'm like, I'm home. It was great. So good experiences. And so fun that you did fashion and you're from Beverly Hills and now you're in the desert, and we have David in common. We have so much in common. When we get off all this, I'll get your information, and we'll get together. Vicki Pass, Vicki Star, Mom, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me and bringing back all the good times at Beverly Hills. <laughs> it was so great talking to you about learning all about growing up Beverly Hills. Thank you all for doing this. You rock. <laughs> bye. David's mom, Bye. Now it's time for the BH Breakdown. You mentioned so many people on today's show that I actually had to do homework last night. So let's break it down, David. I had to do some research, too, because I have heard of most of these people, but some I hadn't. So it was pretty interesting. Uh, let's start with the restaurant she mentions, uh, the Tropics. Oh, yeah. On Rodeo Drive. She went there in a limo one night with some famous folks. But that was a tiki restaurant, kind of a Polynesian bar and restaurant, which it seems like there were a lot of in Los Angeles. It was a really fun Beverly Hills hotspot on Rodeo back in the 50s, was owned by Harry Sugarman. Who went by the name of Shuggy. Shuggy. David and I look back at the prices. Drinks were like 25 cents, 15 cents. It was unbelievable. You get wasted for a dollar. But there were also so many other Polynesian restaurants. It also took us over to uh, Trader Vic's in the Beverly Hilton Hotel. That was open when we were kids in Beverly Hills, and we spent a lot of time there. As soon as I was of legal age to drink, or maybe even before, I started hanging out there. For sure. And it was kind of fun reminiscing with your mom on the episode and that Trader Vic's was a place that she went was also a place that we went. Absolutely. Then she talked about some of the projects that my grandfather was involved in as a producer. And one was Batan. And I mentioned that was one of the early, really realistic war films. And that was in, made in 1943 and starred Robert Taylor. And then another one was the Ford Theater. I looked it up. I didn't realize this, but he had actually produced 85 episodes of the Ford Theater. I thought it was just a few, but it was quite a few. At least one of the episodes he produced had Ronald Reagan in it. It's so funny, David. When I read about that, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Davis met on set of that show. Well, I don't know if you should blame my grandfather or thank him. It depends on what your political bent is, I suppose. <laughs> 
Two of my mother's closer friends in high school, she mentions, are Nora Ephron and Marsha Levant. Nora's parents were both screenwriters, Henry and Phoebe. They did movies like No Business Like Show Business and Carousel. And then, of course, Nora went on to become a famous writer and director herself, doing movies such as When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. She did the best movies. And Marshall Levant's father was Oscar Levant, and he was a really interesting guy that I don't think a lot of people know about today. But he was a composer, but he was also really famous for just appearing on other TV shows. He was a guy that all the talk shows like to have on because he was just really entertaining. He was funny. He could tell a story. He could play piano really multi-talented that everybody wanted to have around. So cool. In an incredible twist of fate, when Oscar Levant died, Nora's father ended up marrying Marsha's mother, and they became stepsisters. Pretty incredible and weird. Would have been weirder if they were young kids, but they were adults by this time. I couldn't believe it that these two people that grew up together as friends became sisters as they got older in life. It must have been just kind of fun. Absolute proof of what a small town it really is. You know, it was so fun, David, as your mom mentioned that your grandparents had people over at the house all the time playing music, people like Sammy Kahn. And- Sammy Kahn is super interesting. He had 31 Academy Award nominations. Can you believe that? No, that's crazy. He won four. That's not bad either. He also wrote songs for Frank Sinatra. He wrote Come Fly With Me, Love and Marriage, all for Sinatra. And then he also wrote songs with Jewel Stein, who my mother also mentions and was a friend of theirs. Wow. And then you had movie directors over there too, right? There were just a whole bunch of talent over at your mom's house where she grew up, singing and movie people. Must have been a very exciting time. Well, she did throw up on Van Johnson. John Payne I had never heard of, but I looked him up. He was certainly a big star in the 40s. I did too. He certainly was. And then Pandro Berman and Lou Wasserman were big movie moguls. Lou Wasserman remained one and one of the most famous people in all of Hollywood. Very cool. Yeah, it just seemed like such a fun environment where you knew everybody working in the movies, in the music, behind the scenes, and... Just an incredible childhood. It really was because, you know, when we grew up or when people always thought about Hollywood or Beverly Hills and all the old movie stars, you just hear about it. And then now we're really meeting someone, your mom, lived that life. And it's so cool to know that all these really famous people were just regular people playing the piano in her house, drinking martinis and laughing with her parents and having fun growing up Beverly Hills. If you or someone you know is having a tough time right now, please reach out to the Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. There's always someone there to help.